You know, anytime there's a big sporting event going on, particularly if you don't have a horse in the race, so to speak, um, but we do this time, of course, Canada is at the World Cup in Qatar. You tend to cheer for the underdog, right? Like if you turn on a game and you think, oh, this team's heavily favored and this one isn't, unless you have some emotional attachment to the favorite, you tend to cheer for the underdog. At least I do. Not always. They've even done research where they've shown people two teams they know nothing about and told them that, you know, this team is the underdog and this team is the favorite. And automatically people will cheer for the underdog. We use different uh, ways of describing underdogs. Scrappy, you know? Um, it's interesting. It's We're wired that way. So yesterday there was this stunning upset at the World Cup. Saudi Arabia beat Argentina 2-1. to one. Uh, Argentina are one of the favorites going in. They've been on this very long winning streak, one of the longest international winning streaks in history. They're about to tie Italy's uh, all-time streak around 35, 36 games unbeaten. And they lost to a team that was ranked 51st in the world. And it was just a massive upset. Then today, Japan, who've always been a decent team, um, beat Germany 2-1. to one. Another major upset. You could be forgiven for thinking maybe Canada, maybe Canada could make it a trifecta by beating Belgium, who are ranked number two in the world. We didn't. We played well. We played really well. In fact, we outplayed Belgium, but lost. one nothing, one nil. A really good study. Still, I, I was reading some of the international coverage of Canada's play today, and a lot of people were really impressed with Canada. A lot of people were cheering for the underdog, and the underdog played with wings, so to speak. They played like they had nothing to lose. They came out, they played aggressively, they attacked. In other words, they didn't sit back and try to not to lose. They went out and tried to win, and that's when it's most fun to watch an underdog, when an underdog looks primed to upset. Um, there have been many other big upsets over the years. I think of Team USA beating the Soviets back in 1980 in Lake Placid. I watched that. I remember watching that, thinking, wow. Um, North Korea, this is a famous one. North Korea beat Italy in the World Cup in England in 1966, 16 years before that, in what is still considered to be the greatest upset in World Cup history. The U.S. beat England at the World Cup in 1950. Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson. I mean, there are some huge upsets. Uh, and then there's inevitably every year the NCAA tournament, the 64, where every year you someone cheers for 16 to beat one. Right? They start off with four groups of four groups of 16, and 16 plays the top seed. The bottom seed plays the top seed, and there's always an upset. And people love those. In fact, there's some colleges that are renowned for being, you know, the Cinderella story, or at least having pulled off these upsets more than once. So, what gives the challenger that belief? What allows the favorite to lose, or at least the challenger to triumph, especially with so many people watching. At the World Cup, you have your whole nation watching you. Can you imagine the mood in Argentina yesterday when they lost 2-1 to Saudi Arabia after leading, by the way? So we thought we'd find out more about the psychology of the underdog. And who better than Sam Summers? He's a professor of psychology at Tufts University near Boston. He's co-author of a book called This Is Your Brain on Sports, The Science of Underdogs, the value of rivalry and what we can learn from the T-shirt cannon. It's a, it's a fascinating title. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Ben. 
You know, it's, it came up again yesterday after Saudi Arabia beat Argentina, one of the pre-tournament favorites of the World Cup. But I thought back to, you know, uh, the Team USA and in Lake Placid in 1980, Buster Douglas, the NCAA tournament, you know, the long line of underdogs that excite. And it got me thinking about the psychology of why is it? I mean, I don't really care if Argentina wins or loses, but suddenly you thought, how exciting is that? And everyone was talking about it. What is it about the underdog that we are so attracted to? Yeah, it's a it's a big question. It's a great question. It's one of the first issues we tackled in the book because it's such an interesting idea. And I think you just hit on part of it. It gives you something to watch for and, and root for, right? I mean, if you don't have a rooting interest in Saudi Arabia, Argentina, boy, it sure is more exciting to watch that game with the possibility of something historic happening than it is. I mean, we love goals, but, you know, 4 nothing win for Argentina is not quite the same. And um, my guess is that people in Buenos Aires didn't feel that way watching no. it. Right? I mean, they have a vested interest. And and uh, same thing today with, with, with Germany and Japan. But if you watch that as a somewhat uninvolved outsider, yeah, rooting for the underdog is exciting. It's unexpected. There's more of an emotional payoff, and it gives you a little something to cheer for. And you've expanded this far beyond the field or, or, or sports to, to all kinds of different places where the idea of seeing oneself as an underdog can be a huge motivating factor. I think that's part of it, right? I think there's an appeal to us internally to, to see ourselves as a bit of underdogs in life. And that's even those of us who are somewhat privileged and high status. Uh, you know, you hear about, I mean, what politician doesn't at some level lay claim to an underdog story, a rags to riches, you know, I you know pulled myself up in, in, in these different ways, even some of them who are the children of previous politicians. So hardly right. uh, rags to riches stories or the, the corporate idea of you know this is a company that was created by a couple of couple of dudes in a garage somewhere there's so many different big companies that have that kind of an origin story uh we like that that appeals to us and and it does give us this sense that anything is possible for ourselves and for other people so i think when we watch a world cup event or a, a world cup match or a nca basketball tournament game and we root for the underdog there's part of us that's also pulling for underdogs outside of the world of sports as well what kind of strength does an underdog have simply by being the underdog? I mean, that it, it seems that that teams that we've watched, I mean, this is a bit of a strange World Cup. They're playing at a different time of year. They're playing late at night, including Canada against Belgium today. It started at 10 p.m. local time. Um, so there are some factors here. But certainly we it feels like being the underdog gives you wings, maybe not big enough wings to win, but gives you wings. Yeah, I think when we watch, we know from research that, and there's these really clever studies that researchers have done where they they show, for example, like American college students video recorded uh, Russian league basketball games so that the, the students don't know anything about these teams. And if you tell them the red team is the underdog or you tell some other people the blue team is the underdog, they'll watch the same game and see it differently. They'll see the underdog, whichever they've been told it is, as scrappier, as hustling, as having all these positive characteristics um, we we do sort of see the underdog in a different light as we're watching. And, and I have to believe that plays a role for performers, for players as well, especially when you get off to a good start, right? When the underdog keeps things close, uh, I, I think it does. I, I think it does give wings, as you just said, uh, from the, the performer standpoint, but also for us as spectators. One thing I found interesting, because you looked into this as well, is that if all of a sudden the underdog starts to win, specifically in a you know in a series kind of thing, people change their minds. They start cheering for the for the, the previous favorite once again. It's kind of fickle that way. Yeah, it is interesting, right? I mean, it is true that the underdog has sort of a, a universal appeal 
but only so far. Uh, and part of what we're doing with underdogs, I think, is rooting for the unexpected and the change. And if the underdog takes a two, three, nothing series lead, sometimes now we're just rooting for a close series and we want the favorite to win to, to see a game six or game seven. And, uh, and, and you know, as, as we mentioned earlier, I don't think in Argentina they were pulling for Saudi Arabia. And I don't think in Germany they celebrated Japan's comeback. I, when you have a vested interest, it, it's different, right? And, and as much as we also like to talk a big game about the underdog, whether it's in sports or the mom and pop shop around the corner, we often do a lot of our shopping at the big corporate favorites, not the underdogs. And we often, I mean, w- what shirts do you see when you walk around and look to see, uh, around town for soccer or football jerseys? You see, you know, FC Barcelona and you see the Argentina shirts and the Germany shirts. And and so um, there there is an appeal to the underdog. But at the end of the day, we often come home and uh, find ourselves at some level affiliated with the favorites too. Yeah, it just it tends to work that way. It's interesting you say that because as a transition, one of the parts of your book too is about the value of rivalry. You know who was really excited about Argentina's embarrassment yesterday in Qatar? The Brazilians. Yeah, Brazil, the, Brazil, right? Right. the Brazilians. They thought right. it was fantastic. Absolutely. Um, rivalry. Rivalry is important, right? Sometimes we take as much pleasure in our rivals losing as we do in, in our own team winning. That's absolutely the case. Uh, I mean, I'm as guilty of, of that as anyone as a sports fan. Uh, we've got the World Cup going on right now. We've got the, uh, to me as a University of Michigan graduate, the Ohio State Michigan football game is happening this weekend. And and uh, I live in Boston where Yankees Red Sox is always on people's mind. And yeah, the, the rivalry does something for us as fans. And also another example of there, there's evidence that, that soccer players their work rate a little bit, little bit higher. If you can actually measure their heart rate during games, it's a they're they're working more in rivalry games. They're committing more fouls in rivalry games. They get amped up as well. So rivalry does certainly get the blood flowing. Yeah, you said that even in in fans, you can they, that people derive pleasure out of watching their rivals fail. Which That's is, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, those you know the the the, the t shirts that say things like. You know, my, my 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 two favorite teams are and pick your sport, Duke basketball and anyone who's playing North Carolina, you know, yeah, and, exactly. and, and that mentality is, is very much you see that people do derive pleasure from um, the, the downfall of, of a rival. And it uh, it maybe isn't the prettiest picture to paint of human nature, but that that is who we are as people. We we, we do celebrate our, our rivals demise. Absolutely. So when it comes to the underdog stuff and even the rivalry thing, because we're going to see some of that at the World Cup, too, one one looks one always thinks of, okay, you're Argentina. You've just been embarrassed. Germany. I mean, Japan's a good team, but, you know, Germany, too, with all the pressure on them, as far as the psychology of it is concerned, athletes, though, react. And you've pointed this out as well in previous interviews. Athletes are both we see them as superhumanly resilient when they're not really, but they are resilient. They can't yeah. come back from an from from a, an embarrassment like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's different ways to do it. Some of it is just confidence in in talent level rising to the top. I and mean, if you watch that Argentina game, what did they have? Three goals, you know, overturned on offsides penalties. Right. They were offsides, but uh, it's not as if they were dominated. I mean, they were they were there and and they had their opportunities. And at some level, I think you just tell yourself, if we keep doing what we do, then you know the cream rises to the top and we'll be okay. I mean, G- Germany's got a bit of a tougher road ahead because. Japan looked pretty good, and they've got some a tough matchup. So, but I I do think that that 
elite performers on the sports fields and hockey rinks and and and, and arenas more generally um, sometimes do have that ability to to be confident in their skill set and think that they're going to bounce back. I mean, they're sort of out of slack for for bad breaks and bad bounces now, though, right? I mean, these are teams that can't afford to have a bad call or a, a lapsed defensive coverage. I mean, at this point, you've you've used up any of your margin for error if you're Argentina or, or Germany in these games. Which can be a good thing or a bad thing. I think the last time Argentina lost their opener to Cameroon in 1990, they went out to the final. They didn't win, right. but they went all the way to the final. But you did point out, and this is interesting because I thought this was an interesting part of your of where psychology, you know, where sports meets the rest of us, is that we often look at, at athletes as somehow being superhuman when it comes to being able to compartmentalize and focus on the game at hand. But we all do it to some extent, don't we? Yeah, it is a, a essential aspect of reasonably well-adjusted functioning in a world that's often threatening and full of setback, right? I mean, we have to be able to put aside that if you're a student, tough test that you got at the beginning of the semester, if, if you're uh, working in a, you know, you're an employee in a workplace, that that tough uh, performance review or whatever it is, we, we do have to be resilient. Uh, we're all living in the midst of uh, manifold overlapping crises still going on across the globe, right? And we've had to compartmentalize in order to cope. Uh, and so in some respects, sure, sports are a diversion and they're not what's important in life, one can argue, but they do provide some models for some of the same type of resilience that we as human beings I think I have to demonstrate just to get by in a, again, often unpredictable and threatening world. Speaking of unpredictable and threatening, I have to ask you about the t-shirt cannon, of course, what we can learn from the t-shirt <laughs> cannon, because there's nothing more unpredictable than what happens in a crowd when that person emerges with the t-shirt cannon. Yeah. Uh, why, how did you land on that notion and why did you want to look into it? Well, it was just this question that, that you know, you hear you've got these people, grown adults, boxing each other out, like fighting for a $12 t-shirt that's like size XXXL that isn't going to fit them. It has a corporate logo they don't care about anyway. Why is it that people are, are sort of willing to, to risk life and limb to do this? And and you sort of look into it and, and recognize that it does capture some interesting aspects of of human nature. We, we, we love a competition. You know, we can turn anything into a competition, whether it's fantasy sports or whether it's 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 betting on whose planes going to come into the gate at the airport first. So we do love some competition. And and we also, we we, we love free. Right. Yes. Free, free is it's not rational. Right. But we will wait around the corner for an hour on free burrito day or free ice cream scoop day when we could go get that same burrito for what, six dollars any other day. And and six dollars for a lot of people, not necessarily worth the hour's worth of investment. But there is something really appealing about free. And and, and thus, you know, you, you see this T-shirt gun cannon, you see the slingshot throwing stuff into the crowd that you don't care about otherwise. I got to believe most of these people get home and and they've got this shirt and I don't even know what they do. They throw it in a drawer somewhere, but they've got a good story. And the story and the experience is, I think, what we're going for in many respects. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a distant second to catching a baseball at a baseball game or a puck at a hockey game, for yeah, sure. For, for sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is your brain on sports. Sam Summers, thank you so much for your, uh, for your insight on this and uh, for explaining the underdogs. Clearly, Canada was an underdog today against Belgium. Played very well, didn't win. Sometimes it works out for the underdog. Sometimes it doesn't. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, yeah, the, the psychology of moral victory is another whole issue to, to, to get into, but, but great performance out of Canada today.